Hey everybody, this is John Culkin. Today we have part one of a three-part special episode with the great bass player J.B. Frank, main bass player for the legendary rock band Kingdom Come. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to The Liner Note with your hosts, Ed Lopez-Reyes, Jim Long, John Culkin, and Joe W. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another edition of The Liner Note. Good to see you all out there in podcast land. Again, I'm Joe W., and I'm here with my other host, John Culkin from Greenwich, Connecticut, Jim Long from New York, and Ed Lopez-Reyes, also from Connecticut. And uh, with us today, we have J.B. Frank, uh, bass player for Kingdom Come. And uh, we have a lot of questions for J.B. J.B., how's everything going? Things are going pretty good. You know, I've had some health problems over the last couple of years, and, and like everybody. And I had some business problems. You know, I bought a music school in Ponte Vedra, and it didn't hold up with the mask and all the mandates and all that stuff. So that was a big financial blow to me. But I believe God is my providence and God will provide more money for me in in some manner or another. Kingdom Comes lost about 90 shows in the last two years too, but we're, oh, we're putting it back together now. We just booked the Monsters of Rock Cruise again for next spring. So things are looking up again. Just takes a while That's to awesome. put it all together. Interesting. So now... That's good news. That's good news, actually. You moved yep. to Florida, right, JB, from California? I did. Yeah, I've lived here in uh, Jack. Or now I live in Neptune Beach, and it's funny. My wife's business is right down the street from the chapter here on Florida Avenue. So I live like walking distance to that. And I was walking by and I go, you know, I should get back in touch with Ed and and <laughs> see what's up with that. I got a little more time right now pursuing my spiritual life and trying to expand any conscious contact I can make with higher power. Fair enough. And uh, and for those of you who don't know what JB's referring to as, uh, I'm a Freemason and JB and I have had some conversations about Freemasonry. So I don't know if anybody else here is. It's an interesting, you know, it's a fraternal organization. They do a lot of charity work, but they also have a really deep uh, history. And there's a, you know, there's an esoteric quality, obviously, to Freemasonry. Yeah. You're, you're really into that sort of stuff, JB, right? Well, you know, my grandfather was a Mason and my father, I think he was like a moose or something. <laughs> but so it's always kind of been there for me and I've always been interested in it. You know, you hear a lot of rumors and, you know, one person says it's bad. Another person says it's good. I try to look at the positive in it. And I know that I'm always working on myself, you know, trying to better myself in some way spiritually, mentally, physically, you know, health-wise and all that stuff. So, you know, anything I can do to improve myself and my stance in this world, I believe I have a lot of good, a lot of good thinking going on in my head too. And I'd like to share some of that thinking at times. You know, I possibly see the world differently than a lot of people because, you know, I like, I like what Eckhart Tolle said. He says, you know, his definition of insanity was somebody that couldn't observe themselves, couldn't observe their lower self with their Mm. higher self. And I find that all the time. You know, Jesus was on the cross and he said two two really important things that were scribed. He said, God, why have you forsaken me? That was his fear and his ego. That was his lower self speaking. Right. And then later he said, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was him that was one with the Father and the Spirit. I yeah. try to move in that direction more than living in the fear, which the earth kind of is always shoving at me. You can't even... I can't even, can't even turn on my phone anymore without all the advertising is now the government saying they have handouts for people. Right. You're a victim. Yeah. And as soon as you identify as a victim, you've lost the battle. Yeah. You, you have no responsibility at that point. You're, you're just 
you're a victim. Yeah. You're in that victim mentality. So you don't really have a lot of hope in that place. You're, you're hoping somebody else will save you when the only person that can actually save you is yourself, like Jesus did yeah. on the cross. He said, oh, God, forgive them. Even though he had thorns around his head, he was whipped to death, nails in his feet and his hands, he still found love for the other people around. Him. You know, he realized we were e pluribus unum. Yeah. We are, you know, we are many from one. So no, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Thing. And I, I made like a revelation yesterday when I woke up. I, I try to put, you know, I try to do some prayer and meditation when I wake up, sing a song, usually a spiritual song. Yesterday, I put on a teaching, and I think it was from Bruce Lipton, who's a cellular biologist. And he said, you know, he talks about the subconscious mind and the conscious mind, how we, we actually live in the subconscious mind, but we're more aware of the conscious mind. And when we start expressing hate, like say if I didn't like something the president said, and I was watching him on TV, and I started giving him the double fingers saying, oh, I hate this guy, right? Well, my subconscious mind only sees one being, right? So the subconscious mind thinks I'm attacking myself and saying I hate myself. So I was like, wow, what, you know, I've heard that before, but I I, I think I needed a reminder of that, that I needed woken up to to that uh, truth. No, absolutely. And it sounds like spirituality has helped ground you. And I know there's been a lot of processes and a lot of changes. And one thing I wanted to ask you about is you got kingdom come you guys got kingdom come back together just a few years ago and you know i've heard about a lot of contrast in your life you know a lot of things that have changed your spirituality the things that you're focusing on mm-hmm. even where you live which it's a pretty big difference california to florida and oh, one thing i wanted to ask yeah. you is how different has the experience been going from kingdom come back in the day when you guys did monsters of rock you toured van halen doc and all those guys to what you're doing now, which it's a different industry and you have a different lead singer. And for the moment, I think you're working with a different drummer, but that might be temporarily. How, yeah. how has it been different this time around? Well, back in, this was 2015 and James, our drummer, had been with the Scorpions for 23 years, right? And he he was a superstar, you know, and he uh, he was a big part of, of Kingdom Come sound. You know, he was one of those drummers that kind of emulated John Bonham. And kind of played a little heavier than most drummers, you know. And you know, and then now we have substitutes. And I miss James, but he's in a rehab and he's getting his crap together. And hopefully he'll be okay to drum again at some point, you know. But so in two fifteen, we got together with Lenny Wolf, the original singer, and uh, we uh, got in the studio. We were accepting bookings. The money was great. We were like, yeah, this is great, but. But there were still the personality clashes right. within the band. Lenny Wolf is a, a Pisces, and a, I didn't even know he's a Pisces. <laughs> His birthday was actually yesterday, three eleven. Oh wow! And, yeah, and uh, I was like, I should have got along with him better because I'm also a water sign, you know, a Cancer. <laughs> and uh, but we couldn't get along really, and he couldn't get along with anybody. He was, you know, and now I view him as like, you know only with compassion he's a very sick man is is you know he was raised in a a very turbulent situation you know i don't want to go into because it's kind of personal but uh so you know in 215 we you know booked a rehearsal hall all got together and we saw james's first bout with alcoholism and lenny says i can't deal with this right so instead of we canceled all the tours and bookings and stuff like that. And then we went out with this other drummer from Germany and it, it worked pretty good. We played the monsters of rock cruise 
and uh, Lenny said, you know, I, I don't, this is no fun for me anymore. You know, it, he's like a genius, you know, and he can't put up with any mistakes or any human error whatsoever, you know. And he said he was a really good fighter, too. So he kind of intimidated people, you know, he was like a big guy and intimidated people. But he says, I quit. I'm not, I don't care. I'm 58 years old. I retire. I got enough money to retire. I retire. And we, we went, we all kind of rubbed our hands and went, oh, good. We don't have to fool with an asshole now. <laughs> you know? We can find a new, younger, better looking guy that can dance and talk to the audience and is not bow-legged. And, you know, he can, you know, so we found Keith St. John. He was, you know, he replaced uh, like Sammy Hagar. And uh, he's just a, a consummate professional singer. You know, sure. he, he went through Bel Canto opera training and, you know, he does a 20 minute warm up before we go on stage. We do a spiritual prayer before we go on stage and everything. He does a little qigong, you know, and it's like it's, it's a pleasure playing with him. You know, and he, he, he hits 99 percent of his notes in pitch and he remembers the lyrics. <laughs> and it's really nice. You know, it's really yeah. nice, you know. I don't know if you know what LSD is. That's called lead singer's disease. Definitely heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's kind of a, a thing that's pretty constant in the rock and roll world. So here we are. All of our dreams came true, except then COVID came along. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the a lot of the concerts and, you know, promoters were like, had cold feet about, you know, sending out advances and stuff like that because a lot of times you ask for 50 percent of the advance up front and and most promoters are down with that but because it was so shaky at the time it was like oh we don't i don't know if we want to do this so we lost a lot of shows and we just kind of kicked back uh you know james was clean our drummer you know had gone mm -hmm. through a rehab his third rehab and he was doing well and he was you know playing sober and he was a, he's a monster drummer and a really nice guy you know and then he started slipping into drinking again and trying to hide it from us. And then it was just really obvious that he needed some professional help mm. again. So that's where we're at. We're out playing with Blas Elias and, and uh, Matt Muckle as, as substitutes uh, mm. for James until he gets it back together. But we really don't have any shows again until uh, late summer where we're going we're gonna to maybe do some European stuff again. And we're actually going to Trinidad. And I was like, Trinidad, <laughs> you know, that sounds like, hey, can I take my gun? You know, and uh, <laughs> I hope we're, you know, yeah. had some good security down there because they, there's some kidnappings and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, my geez. wife is like, oh, can I go? That's like a tropical paradise. And I go, yeah. You're like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> With militant weirdos walking around. Yeah. Oh, so, man. So. Um, but you did, uh, you did do a gig at the Whiskey recently, though, right? A, yeah, a few we just weeks ago, and uh, last uh, last month, about three weeks okay. ago, and uh, yeah. and that went well. They they gave us a raise in pay, which is always you know they saying, "Hey, we appreciate you guys, and we really want you yeah. back." And then we played Count Vamps in uh, which is one of the Vegas. greatest rock and roll Vegas, clubs, right? Uh, in Vegas, so uh, yeah, an honor to to be playing there too. So. Yeah, it's it's kind of like, and then and then our agent calls and go, I heard you guys did really good, you know. And it was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, even though we're using substitute drummers, it's yeah. it's it's coming off. We're pulling it off, you know. So, yeah, I, got to, I got yeah. to see you back in the day up here uh, where I live in Poughkeepsie, New York, at the Mid Hudson Civic Center. I don't okay. know if you remember that 
That that was a great show, man. Really? And, uh, Thank you. Yeah. I caught your show uh, when you guys. There's somebody that I don't remember Poughkeepsie, but <laughs> you know, it, it's like when you play stadiums and, and you know auditoriums and stuff. They kind of all look alike after a while. And, you know, you're out there. You're jet lagged. You're not sleeping enough. You know, you're before every show. You're drinking some coffee. You know, and uh, you know, warming up your voice and taking they all blend. You know, I was wondering else. if you had a favorite venue that you've played at or a favorite festival. In yes, I I played on my birthday on in 1988 at Candlestick Park and it was sold out. And this wow. was with uh, this was with Van Halen and uh, Metallica, and uh, it was great because we we were the afternoon we we were the opening act for Metallica, right? Yeah. So a lot of times it was like you know people weren't in the good seats yet and stuff like that. So we'd be playing to this half baked audience, you know, and they were really there for Van Halen, you know, and, uh, you know, or Scorpions or something. So, but this was like, you know, my birthday, I invited like 50 people up from LA and, you know, had a big dressing room and it was, it was a good party. Matt Sorm was there. He was like one of my best friends at the time. And, uh, he was playing for, uh, Tori Amos, and uh, he hadn't started for the Calder Guns N' Roses yet. So it was a lot of my wow. friends that were like, you know, they were like, wow, JV, this is really cool. You you, you really made it, <laughs> didn't you? You know, I go, well, we, we are number one on MTV. Now, you know, for seven weeks in a row, we bumped Michael Jackson's Thriller out of the top spot. It was, <laughs> it was a good time, you know. And it was a really good show. It was really windy. And, uh, and it was great. It was 85,000 people there. And, you know. Wow. Doesn't get any better than that. And hey, JB. They loved, they loved us. You know? I, I read your, your interview with that show where you talk about it. And so I, I remember a lot of things you said now. I have to ask you, what was the fight almost with, with Sammy Hagar? The fist fight with oh, Sammy Hagar? He, uh, he also <laughs> is from L.A. Or I guess he's probably got several houses, one in Cabo, too. I, it's probably being taken over by some cartel now. But, uh, yeah, so Sammy... <laughs> Uh, invited all he oh he's from San Francisco so he had a lot of family in San Francisco he so he said he was going to need our dressing room right after we were done with it right after we got off the stage and you know go ahead and take a shower whatever you need to do and then we'd like your dressing room and I was like I just invited fifty people here from L.A. to celebrate my birthday you know so I was a little mad at Sammy but. Um, you know, I played in a celebrity golf tournament with him, and, you know, we shook hands, and everything's great. He, he's like a black belt in karate. I'm glad I didn't square off with him, you know. And I would have got a nasty surprise, I'm sure. But now I think he's one of the greatest human beings on the planet, you know. He's, he's very, uh, you know, altruistic, and, and he's, uh, you know, I love his new song out, you know, and... Uh, and it just seems like a really nice guy. And I, you know, you just kind of, I mean, when I first met him, I thought, oh, who is this guy? Ungrateful and so whiny and, you know, complaining about everything. <laughs> he just got hired by Van Halen to do an album and a tour. You know what I mean? It's, life doesn't get any better than that. Be grateful, dude. You know, but then I found out later, you know, it was a lot in my own head, you know. But I was a completely different person. I was 34 years old and, uh, you know, into this dark, sexual thing you know it's like i didn't care how much money i was getting i was getting all the chicks i could ever want you know and it was like you know i had millionaire friends and stuff and i 
at the time I was working for Diane Warren, who is the biggest songwriter in the world. And sure. I, was her, I was her very first producer. She heard my demo and she goes, I want my demos to sound like your demo. So I went in and started working with her. If I was stayed with Diane Warren, I'd be, you know, a billionaire right now, you know, and I was all connected <laughs> into all the business stuff and, yeah. you know, have my producer hat on, not my rock star hat. But it was like, you know, I was playing a couple different bands, you know, bass in a couple bands. I also play guitar and keyboards. And, uh, and three of the bands I was in all got signed to record deals, right? There was uh, World War Three, Kingdom Come, and Johnny Crash. And Johnny Crash was like all my best friends in that band. And it was a really good band, very ACDC. Um, oh, I love Johnny Crash. I didn't like that much. But uh, Mandy Lyon was the singer. He was the first pirate singer, you know, arr, 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 one of those guys, <laughs> you know. His, his music didn't match his voice, you know. Yeah. So uh, it was like, and and then when Kingdom Come got such a big deal, and and they were number one before the record was even on the shelves, it was like a, a god shot. You know, we were it was a miracle. Right. We were the number one requested song in the world, and we we were in we were in Europe, you know, doing a tour with some band we'd never heard of, you know, Magnum, and they were all in their sixties and seventies, and we thought they were so old. Now we're in our sixties and seventies, <laughs> you know, and now doing yep. it. So, <laughs> It's pretty cool. Everything comes around full circle, you know. When did you actually start playing, JB? And uh, what made you want to become a musician? Well, I don't think I, uh, you know, I was born in uh, in Ohio in a little town called Ravenna. And my uh, family owned uh, a farm, you know, like we were very in the country. Our, Our closest neighbor was like a mile away. We had rivers and creeks and you know, hunting and all kinds of stuff. And so I was a nature child. I spent a lot of time in nature and I loved that. And then uh, my cousins say I started playing piano when I was about four. And I thought, well, I'm just banging on the piano, but if they think it sounds good, all right, I guess I'm a musician. Uh, when I got to school, I didn't like school at all. I, I, I believe I'm one of the first indigo children. I know when I'm being poisoned and I know when I'm being lied to. Yeah. Right. And that's what all I found out about education. I have a little a very intuitive mind. I can pick up on other people's thoughts. And so when I got around like a lot of people and not in nature all the time, I got I got a little confused and it was it was like really rough. Then when I moved to the big city, I moved to New York and I I can't I can't stand being in New York. You know, I moved to Florida, played some top 40 down here for a while got an offer to go to, to California with a band called Chopper. And this was uh, Jeff Berry had written the songs. It was, you know, an Interscope signing, you know, $2 million deal, guaranteed success. Fly the keyboard player out, played on a few tracks. They never got any airplay and they never got any tour support for Interscope. So here I found myself in L.A., you know, with this guaranteed success band and no, no job, no income or anything, you know. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, that I mean, I kind of took you from four years old to to twenty seven pretty quick. Yeah. There. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's how I got out to L.A. And you know, when I got to L.A., I started working for as a producer because I play all instruments and I I'm good with arrangements and things like that. And so I found my I thought I found my niche in Hollywood that I was going to be behind the scenes kind of guy mm-hmm. and stuff like this. Now all of a sudden I'm you know in movies uh, in several movies as an actor and stuff. And uh, I didn't want, you know, I got my own Coors Light commercial on TV. I mean, it's funny when I met the president of uh, 
Polygram Interscope Records and all. He says, you're the guy in the Coors Light commercial. And I was like, <laughs> yes, I am. He goes, oh, we don't want an actor in this band. I was like, well, too late. I already signed the contract. <laughs> So and, nice. I, and he and he did think I was a great bass player, and he was the bass player for Gentle Giant, so he knew bass players, you know. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. So, but and I, I never thought I never thought of myself as a bass player. I, I always knew how to play bass and guitar, but I always was a piano player. And I, my first job ever professionally was a drummer. So, uh, so I kind of wow. had all those things working. You've for me. been uh, all over the place. Uh, JB, I'm just going to cut for one second because Jim's got to go. He wants to say goodbye. Yeah, um, I just want to def definitely thank you very much for your time tonight, JB. I got to run back to work, unfortunately, and I'm going to be uh, definitely checking out the full episode when they get it uh, posted. So thank you for your time, man. Nice talking to you, Jim. You too. I'll talk um, to you guys soon. Have a great day. All right. Okay. Thanks, Jim. See you, Jim.